Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series at the movies. During this series, we'll be looking at spiritual themes found in some of the big blockbuster movies from Hollywood. Today, we're looking at Les Miserables as we find some of the biggest themes in the Bible portrayed in this movie. Lead Pastor David Fossil guides us through these themes as he shows us what God has to say, not just about the themes, but about how we live. I, I got to say, first service, I was, uh, was standing with my mom and my wife and everything, and after Curtis was done, I turned over and looked at her and I said, I feel so white. You know, we were having trouble just clapping on beat. And... <laughs> that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, our economy is still kind of puttering along, and, but the movie industry is just booming, right? I just looked in Google yesterday, $1.4 billion in ticket sales year to date. We Americans love our movies, right? I once heard that the average American watches more movies in one week than we read books in a year. I don't think that's a good thing, but that's kind of what we are as a culture. And, and uh, you know, because of the popularity of movies, every couple years we do this series called At the Movies, where we basically look at spiritual themes and ideas found in some of Hollywood's biggest blockbuster movies. And that's what we're going to do today and for the next couple of weeks. If you have a friend, it's a great, easy week to kind of bring them in. It's very, very different in terms of what we normally do. But if you look at your study guide, what we're going to look at today is a movie that was released in December, so last Christmas, called Les Miserables. Now, if you don't know anything about the, the, the movie, or if you've not read the book, it's based upon a novel written by a guy called Victor Hugo, published in 1862. In the 1980s, it was released as a theatrical musical in London, and from there, it just, it just took off. It just took off. Last year, like I told you, it was released as a movie. Now, what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be showing you a couple clips. A couple clips about the movie that talk about different themes. Uh, it may be interesting for you to know that Victor Hugo, when he first wrote the book, he intended it to be a religious book. Victor Hugo intended in Les Mis, which is normally what it's called when it's shortened, he intended Les Mis to be an illustration of some of the biggest themes in this book. If you watch the movie, it's hard not to see God almost everywhere. What I'd like to do is I'd like to talk to you about some of the biggest and most significant themes, not necessarily in the movie, but in our lives, as God talks to us about what it means to live. If you don't know anything about the story, it's the story of a guy called Jean Valjean. And he, um, he steals a loaf of bread to feed his nephew. It, it, the movie and the, the story is set in 1800s France when there was a lot of poverty. That's when the revolution happened there. And it was not good in Europe. And so he steals a, a, a loaf of bread for his nephew. He's caught. He is sent to prison for five years. But because he keeps trying to escape, uh, he ends up spending 19 years in prison. And it's the story of what he becomes. It's a story of how he changes. And uh, what we're going to do is, uh, first of all, we're going to watch the first theme, the first clip that talks about the law. Now, I'm going to talk to you about what that means, but he's dealing with a different kind of law, but we're going to talk about it. Now, just real quickly, if you have not watched the movie, okay, one of the things that may catch you off guard, because very few movies are like that, is that it is a musical, Okay, so first of all, you know, Joy and I, a couple weeks ago, we were thinking, we we're always trying to keep things fresh and different and creative, and we thought, the movie is a musical, 
maybe the sermon should be a musical, you know? And then Joy very, very creatively and tactfully said, no. And all God's people said, yeah, no, that's what, <laughs> that's what I figured. So I won't be singing. But what we have tried to do, obviously we don't have the quality in terms of, you know, projectors and sound system. But so the, the key is that one thing we're going to add that we don't normally do when we have with movies is we're going to put the subtitles. Because it's not about you watching the clip and getting a feel for the scene. It's about you getting an idea about the words. Okay, so I want you to watch this first clip. It's one of the first clips in the movie, one of the first scenes, and when we'll come back and we'll talk about the law. Watch it. Laws or rules are part of society. In fact, the way we live wouldn't work without rules. It wouldn't work without laws. I mean, think about it. If you're part of a team, the job of a referee is to enforce the rules of the game or the laws of the game. If the referee doesn't do that, the game's no fun. If you work for a company, most companies, they're intended to operate under business law to protect consumers. If you're part of a family, most families I know have rules. It could be simple rules like pick up your room or take out the trash or, you know, things like that. But, you know, mom and dad enforce the rules or the laws to make sure family operates the way it's supposed to operate. The police officers that patrol our city, they are, they are entrusted to enforce the laws set up to, to make sure that our society works. Laws and rules are a part of everyday life. Now, in the movie, um, Javert, Inspector Javert, is the one that represents the law. In fact, he, he, we're rooting for the other guy, Jean Valjean, but Javert is really not a bad guy. He's just strict. It's what you and I would call a legalist. He lives by the letter of the law. He, he lives and exists to punish wrongdoers. In fact, in this one scene where Jean Valjean is just about ready to be released and he gets his parole papers, eventually he skips out on parole and tries to build a new life for himself. And Inspector Javert spends the rest of the movie and his entire life trying to recapture him. Because he lives by the letter of the law. He lives by the rules. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning is not about the law that our society lives in. What I want to talk to you about this morning is this law, God's law. Now, when we talk about God's law, we typically are referring to the Old Testament. We normally mean the 613 different rules and laws that you find in the Old Testament. Laws, rules given to us by God in terms of how to behave, how to please God. Now, I'm going to give you guys the benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming you're here because you want to please God. I'm not sure why you would be here otherwise than, you know, a couple of us got dragged by our wives or by our husbands or by our parents. We want to please God. That's why we're here, right? Here's the problem. When you start trying to please God based upon the 613 laws found in the Old Testament, what you quickly discover is that you can't live up to what God has as our standard. Here's how Paul explains it. Let me show you. Let's put the next slide up there. In Romans chapter 3, therefore, no one will be declared righteous. In other words, you're, you're, you're not going to have a right relationship with God in God's sights by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And then just a couple chapters later, in Romans chapter 5, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. Now, let's just be clear. God's law is good. God's law is perfect. God's law is holy, but it was never intended to give us eternal life. 
It was never given for that purpose. What God basically does is he creates a spiritual checklist. You want to please me? Here's what you need to do. Here's the checklist. There's 613 different things you need to do. So we go about trying to please God because that's why we're here. And very quickly, what we do is we become conscious that we can't measure up. Very quickly, we see that our, how sinful we really are. And what we discover is that God's law, one of the results is that we are judged as not perfect. And as with any rules and with any laws, when you break them, there are these things called consequences. And we end up actually being condemned by the law by measuring up short. One of the authors that I, I read, everything he writes, um, he's a pastor in the South Bay. His name is John Ortberg. He, he tells a story that I think is going to help us understand a little bit about the law and sin and how it interrelates in our life. He says this. He says, many years ago, early on in our marriage, my wife and I sold a Volkswagen Beetle to buy our really first nice piece of furniture. It was a sofa. It was a pink sofa, for, but for the kind of money we spent, we called it a mauve sofa. The man at the sofa store told us all about how to take care of it, and we took it home. Now, we had very small children in those days, and does anyone want to guess what the number one rule in our house from that day on? Don't sit on the mauve sofa. Don't play near the mauve sofa. Don't eat around the mauve sofa. Don't touch the mauve sofa. Don't breathe around the mauve sofa. Don't even think about the mauve sofa. On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit, but on this sofa, the mauve sofa, you may not sit. For on the day you sit thereon, you will surely die. And then one day came the fall. There appeared on the mauve sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. My wife called the, 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 called the man at the sofa factory and he told her how bad, how really bad that was. So she assembled our three children to look at the stain on the mauve sofa. Laura, who was about four, Mallory, who was two and a half, and Johnny, maybe six months old. She said, children, do you see that? That's a stain. That's a red stain. It's a red jelly stain. And the man at the sofa store says it's not coming out, not for all eternity. <laughs> do you know how long eternity is, children? Eternity is how long we're all going to sit here until one of you tells me which one put the red jelly stain on the mob sofa. For a long time, they just sat there. Until finally, Mallory cracked. I knew she would. She said, Laura did it. And Laura said, no, I didn't. Then it was dead silence for the longest time. And I knew that none of them would confess putting the stain on the sofa because they'd never seen their mom that mad in their lives. I knew none of them was going to confess putting the stain on the sofa because they knew that if they did, they would spend all eternity in the timeout chair. I knew that none of them would confess putting the stain on the sofa because, in fact, I was the one who had put the stain on the sofa. And I was saying nothing, not a word. <laughs> and he concludes and he says this. Here's the truth about mankind. We've all stained the sofa. We've all stained the sofa. You see, when you begin to understand the law of God, and you begin to try and live it out, what you realize is that you don't reach his standard. What you realize is whether it's stealing a loaf of bread like Jean Valjean or the really bad sins, none of us measures up. Every one of us, through our own sin, has stained our soul. Well, that's not very encouraging. Now what do we do? Well, Paul goes on and he says this. Let's put this next verse up there. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, Christ rescued us from the curse... The consequence pronounced by the law. 
uh, for a summer, back when I was a teenager, I worked at a, at a summer camp, and one of my best friends was a, was a lifeguard. And I remember talking to him about all the training he would go through and what you got to do and prepare to be a lifeguard. And he says, one of the first things they teach you is you don't try or uh, to rescue someone until essentially they've given up. Because until they give up, they're grabbing and holding and they can take you down under with them. They have to give up before you can actually rescue them. And the same is with Jesus Christ. Worse drowning in this thing called sin. And God says, you keep drowning until you give up and realize I'm the only one that can rescue you. I'm the only one that can take care of the consequence of sin. He goes on. And how did he pay for this? When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse, the consequence for our wrongdoing. I love how he says this. He says, we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. So it's not that the law was bad, but it couldn't accomplish in our soul what we really needed. And the law acted as a guardian, keeping us in protective custody until, he says, Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. One of the big themes in the movie, but most importantly, one of the big themes in this book is that the law judges and condemns us. But one of the other most significant themes is this next one right here. It's that mercy can change and redeem us. The mercy of God. This next clip we're going to watch is the first time that Jean Valjean experiences someone that is willing to offer him kindness and mercy. And it comes from a priest at a church. Watch this scene, and then we'll talk about it. After 19 years as a slave, as a convict, Valjean had, comes out with a hardened heart. He's angry. He believes God has let him down, and there's no hope for his future. And so when he's released, he goes and he tries to get a job, and no one will give him a job. He tries to find food, and no one will feed him. There's nowhere that they will allow him to sleep until one night he, he sleeps outside of a church, and a priest not only feeds him, but it gives him a bed to sleep in. But in the middle of the night, Valjean goes back to his old ways. And he thinks, this is my chance. And he, he robs and he steals the priest. In the morning, the police catch him, bring him back. And well, you saw the scene. Instead of pointing a finger at him, the priest, for the first time, he, he gives Valjean mercy. He shows him kindness. Now, it's a great scene, isn't it? I mean, it's a great clip. But if you take two, three steps back, that doesn't work in society. I mean, it's great for a movie, but would you do that? Honestly, would you do that? If someone robbed your house and the inspector or the police showed up and said, is this the guy? Would you go, uh, no, yeah, in fact, no, it's fine. And here, have more. Would you do that? Probably not. You know, that would be an issue. Well, how would our, our court systems, how would our society work if, if after a jury found someone and convicted them, found them guilty? That the, the judge says, you know, I heard the evidence, I know what the jury has said, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show mercy. I'm going to just let him go. How would that work? That would be a problem. Uh, what, what would happen if police officers, as you and I are driving and others are driving, every time they, they did something while they were driving that was wrong or that was dangerous, every time they were caught speeding, the police officers just said, ah, no big deal, just go ahead and do whatever you want. What would our streets end up becoming? It would be a problem, don't you think? I, I don't think I've told you this, but a while back, there was actually a member of our church driving to church on Sunday morning. She was going to serve in Sunday school ministry. She was a little bit late, and she was speeding. 
She looked in her rearview mirror and she saw the lights. And so she pulled over. Uh, Pinole Police Department pulled her over and an officer came up. You know how it goes, right? Can I have your driver's license and registration? He took it, went back, checked, make sure everything was all right. He came back. He says, ma'am, why were you going so fast on Sunday morning? She goes, I, I'm trying to make it to church. I'm late. And the police officer said, um, what church do you go to? And she said, I go to Bay Hills Community Church. Upon which time the officer said this, quote, tell you the truth. Tell Pastor Dave that I'm not going to be able to make it this morning. Have a good day. See you, ma'am. <laughs> so there's two points to my story. Number one, when you get pulled over, drop my name. It may help, you know, maybe not. But most importantly, honestly, the biggest, one of the biggest themes in this movie is the conflict between mercy and justice. The reason we have rules, the reason we have law, and the reason we give consequences for breaking the law is to motivate the rest of us to keep the law. That's the point. You need consequences for justice to work. But if all we get is justice, if we never experience mercy, at least spiritually, we are in deep, deep trouble. Because we cannot measure up to God's law. Look down, look down, you'll always be a slave. That's the point of that first song. You and I are always enslaved and judged by sin. And so eventually, essentially what we need, what God needs to provide for us, is someone, something that does both. Something that gives and pays for the justice, but also gives us mercy at the very same time. And that's where Jesus is introduced into our story this morning. And this is what Paul says. Let me show you. Let's put it up there. Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his great love for you, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And in Galatians chapter 4, God sent Jesus to buy freedom from us. The payment he's paying, by the way, is the payment demanded by the law. The justice that is needed to buy freedom for us. That's the word redeem in the Bible, who were slaves to the law so that, you, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That word redeem is an important word. In the days of Jesus, and the reason the, that Paul uses it, is it literally meant to buy someone from a slave market and release them into freedom. That's literally what it meant. And it literally is what it means spiritually for us. It literally means that God, that Jesus, pays for us and the payment that is demanded for our sin and then releases us into freedom. That's the whole point. God redeems us from spiritual death row and sets us free from the bondage of sin. The problem is, not all of us experience that. Isn't that the, t the case? One of the best ways of explaining it that I've ever heard is the, the whole idea of uh, what happened on New Year's Day, 1863. The 16th president of our country, later ratified by the Congress, passed what we know as the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring all slaves to be free. That was a good thing. It, 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 was, it was communicated in the plains of Virginia, in the plantations of Alabama, in the streets of Texas. Slaves are free. But here's a problem. The problem was that politically our government had declared slaves to be free. But experientially, were they all free right away? No, it took years and years and years for all slaves to actually experience freedom. And the same is true spiritually with so many of us. To the person of Jesus Christ, our, the, the payment for our sin has been, has been paid, has been forgiven. 
God declares us to be free. But in his government, just because you and I are declared to be free does not mean that you are experiencing freedom because it only goes into effect when you receive it, when you accept it, when you embrace it. The law judges me. Mercy is meant to change me. The third major theme is this one. Let's put it on the screen. Is that grace, once we've experienced the mercy of God, expects the best from me. It expects the best from me. I, I don't know if you could you cap the words of what the priest was saying to Valjean. Let me read to what he says. Remember this, my brother. See, in this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. In other words, change. By the witness of the martyrs, now listen to this next phrase, it's because it's referring to Jesus. By the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. When you experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, God intends not for it only to change and impact you, but he expects then you in return to share that mercy, to share that love with others you come in contact with. That's the whole point. It's not just for you. The grace of God is meant to change and transform you so that you then give to others. In, in the movie, there's three individuals that Valjean interacts with. It's these three right here. Um, it's the prostitute, Fontaine, played incredibly by Anne Hathaway. It's the orphan girl, Cassette. And then, of course, it's his enemy, in- Inspector Javert. And what I want to do is, as, as we wrap up kind of our study time, is I want you to watch three short clips that we've kind of linked together. Notice how Jean Valjean now treats them differently. He's no longer a convict controlled by the law. He's now a man that has been impacted by grace and by mercy and in turn spreads it to others. Watch this clip and then we'll talk. Here's how the Bible says it. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. When you and I experience the grace and the mercy of God, he then expects the best of us. He then expects us to notice those that are around us that need help and to express kindness and love to them. In the movie, the three individuals he's most interacting with are these three. The prostitute, what does he do for her? Cares for her until she eventually dies. You you don't really think that everyone involved in the sex trafficking business within 30 minutes of this building, are doing it because they really want to, do you? They're right around us, people that are hurting. And then, of course, the helpless, the little orphan girl. It's not his, and yet he watches over her and raises her until she's an adult. And then we all have the last one. We all have enemies, don't we? Quote, unquote, people we work with, people in our family, people at school, you know, people we don't get along with. Instead of getting his revenge on him, he chooses to forgive instead. The helpless, the hurting, the haters. How are we responding? Pick up your chin, look around 
And God is expecting of you. He's expecting of me the very best we've got because he gave the very best to us. One last verse and I'm going to wrap it up. This is what James says. Chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith, genuine faith, without deeds is dead. You know, James says genuine faith isn't just something you talk about with others. Genuine faith is not something you believe, correct doctrine. Real faith is not just something you feel. All those things count. But real, genuine faith ultimately is something you do. You behave differently because of the impact Jesus has had on your life. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, each one of these themes intersects with our life. The themes of law and how we fall short of your perfect standard. The theme of mercy and how much you've shown to us, but ultimately the theme of grace and what you expect from us now in turn. Father, this morning is not about the movie Les Mis. This morning is about your son Jesus Christ and the difference he makes in our life. Thank you for how you've challenged us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. In this last scene, Victor Hugo powerfully brings all the themes together. To love another person is to see the face of God. It was Jesus who said, they'll know that you're my disciples, genuine followers of mine, by your love, love for other people. In this scene, he brings the whole idea together that... Regardless of any decisions we make, we still live in a fallen world. We still live and operate under the law. And the one thing that in this life won't be redeemed is our bodies who continue to fall apart until one day we will all breathe our last breath. But of course, the theme that is driven home as Valjean gets ready to die is the promise of an eternity with God. Take my hand, and I will lead you to salvation. I know some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's, for those who don't know it, it so powerfully illustrates what, what do I do now. It's a case that held the attention of the state of Louisiana in 1982. Uh, a man was on death row. And his attorneys were working frantically to have a stay. And um, at 11.30 at night, half an hour before he was to be put to death, the governor of the state of Louisiana surprised everyone and issued and gave a full pardon. The attorneys were overjoyed. They ran to see the man in his cell and tell him the good news. But then something happened that brought the state of Louisiana to a standstill. He rejected the pardon. And those working at the prison weren't sure what to do, so they did what only they knew was their option. And at one minute past midnight, they strapped him to a chair and they took his life. What followed in the Supreme Court of Louisiana was a discussion, a legal battle over a pardon. And one, when does a pardon count? When does it go into effect? 
Does a pardon count when it is issued and granted by the, the governor? Ultimately, what the courts decided was that no. A pardon doesn't count. It doesn't go into effect when a governor issues it. It only counts when it is issued and received. And the same is true with us. God has issued a pardon because of His Son, Jesus Christ. You are free. You are free from the consequences of sin in your life. You are free. But that pardon doesn't go into effect in your life until you receive it. Until you accept it. Until you say yes to Jesus. Let's close in prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today and you've never made that decision but you want that, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer in your heart right now. Dear God, as best as I know how, I say yes to Jesus. I know that that I've stained my soul with sin. I know that according to your standards, I fall short. But I'm overjoyed and I get it. That only through Jesus, the Son of God living a perfect life and dying a perfect death, He both fulfilled the justice that was needed for my sin, but also gave me mercy on the cross. And today I say yes to Jesus. I embrace Jesus. I ask Him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Change me, redeem me. And know that from this day forward, I'm going to do the best to follow you. And you can expect the best that I've got. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I wonder if you could just slip it up real quick so I could see you and pray for you. Slip it up real quick. Very good. One or two. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see your hand. Thank you. See your hand in the back. Heavenly Father, for the seven in first service and the three or four in this service that prayed that prayer, that said, as best as I know how, I say yes to Jesus. Father, remind them that genuine spiritual transformation is not just something they feel on the inside, but it is something because of your government, because of you, the ruler of earth, have dictated and said is true. They are free at last. Father, many of us prayed that prayer years ago as we knelt at a bed with our parents in a Sunday school class after a service. We are so incredibly thankful for the grace that you've extended to us, the mercy that you've shown us. And this morning, Father, we are reminded that we aren't to keep that grace and mercy to ourselves, but we are to spread it. Father, you can expect the best from us. Father, we wrap up our, our, our time of study this morning by worship you, worshiping you in song, by declaring that your grace is amazing. It is indeed amazing. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. 
If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.